Genesis chapter 22. Today we're concluding our series on the story of Abraham. This is the climax of Abraham's journey of faith over the last three decades of his life. Over the last couple of months, as we've been going through this series, we've walked with Abraham. As he's heard God make these, make these amazing promises to him. He's believed in faith, and then he's seen God actually start to make good on these promises. Abraham's faith has grown through this story. Maybe yours has as well. But here we come to the greatest Test of Abraham's faith. God has a lot here for us. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Father, I praise you for your word, even the these parts. Would we hear you here? And would we see you for Christ's sake? Amen. So in middle school, I started to have double vision. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, my parents took me to some doctors. They couldn't really figure it out, put me through battery tests. Couldn't really figure out what was going on. And then one day, one morning, I woke up and double vision was gone. Sounds nice, but in its place, something much worse had happened. In the middle of the visual field of my right eye, there was all of a sudden this giant black hole. It had a big blind spot. I was going blind. And as my physical vision was starting to go blind, my spiritual vision, it felt like, was failing as well. Why was God putting me through this? Why was I coming along? That started a two-year journey for me and for my parents and my family and our community, where we cried out to God, asking why are you allowing this to happen? And maybe, maybe you've actually felt something similar yourself. Maybe you've had a terrible tragedy or a sort of a roiling crisis in your life, and you cried out. God, where are you? What are you doing? I cannot see you. In that trial, in that point of crisis, your spiritual vision feels like it's failing. And I would wager a, wager a lot of money that Abraham felt very similar as he's walking up that God can make these incredible promises to him, right? But all of these promises depended on this one boy that he's walking with. He promised him this boy. He promised him that his descendants through this boy would inherit the land. That they would bless the world. And then here at the beginning of the story, God asked Abraham to do the one thing that undoes everything. He asked him to kill his son. Abraham had no way to know what's going on here. Abraham's vision was failing him. 
So in this final story of Abraham's interactions with God, in this final story of our series, we get an amazing picture of what the vision of faith looks like. Abraham can't see, but he still follows God in faith, and he passes the test. But through this story, and through this test, God is pushing Abraham to have a bigger vision through the eyes of faith. Through this seemingly absurd test, God is pushing him to see further than he ever thought that he could see, all the way to God's global plan of redemption. And through this story, God is pushing us as well to see further than we ever thought that we could, all the way to God's plan of redemption. God is inviting us to share his bigger vision. And it's this bigger vision of faith that enables us to keep going so vision, sight, that's the theme, right? It's actually a really important theme in this passage. It's, it's all over the place here. Right from the very, very beginning, there's this Hebrew word that's going to be sort of the key that we're going to keep hitting during this sermon. The word is ra'a. Ra'a. And it means something up to see. To see. And the, wait, the place that God calls Abraham to, the land of Moriah, probably has this word at its root. God has called him to the land of Moriah, Moriah. God has called Abraham to the land of vision. What an ironic name, though, isn't it? Because Abraham is left completely in the dark about how exactly this is going to work. We know, we know that God is testing Abraham. But Abraham doesn't know that. God's command must make even less sense to him than it does to us. Abraham is going, traveling, walking to the land of vision, completely blind as to the purposes of God. But what does Abraham do here? Abraham obeys. Look at verse 3 with me. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He set out with his donkey. He took his two young men. He took his son. He cut the wood. He arose. And he went. See the pacing of these words? How it's just one thing after another. Abraham here isn't haggling. He's not trying to wiggle his way out. We've seen Abraham haggle. We know he can do it. But he's not. Abraham here is obeying. He and Isaac and Jacob have traveled for three days. Three days in the dark. Isaac doesn't know what's about to happen. Certainly Solomon knows what's about to happen. Abraham thinks he knows what's about to happen, but he doesn't see how it's going to work with everything God has told him before. They're in the dark. And then on the third day, look at verse 4 with me. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he, Raha, he saw, he saw the place from afar. But notice what exactly he's seeing here. 
He sees only the place that God has called him to go and sacrifice his son. Abraham sees the commandment. He sees the call. He sees the paradox and the pain. He doesn't see God's plan. And yet, despite seeing only this place of obedience in the land of vision, Abraham obeys. And here Abraham is showing us the first part of what it means to have the vision of faith. The vision of faith obeys, even when it cannot see. And I'm sure you know this, God so often withholds from us his purpose. He withholds from us the full extent of his plan, how everything fits together. We don't see what he's up to when he gives us a trial or a blessing. God speaks to us in various ways, but we so often can only see that call, right? Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw. He saw the call. He saw the place of obedience. He didn't see the bigger plan. He saw the seeming absurdity of it, and yet he obeyed. Do you feel just how radical this is? Just how amazing what he's doing here is? There's a reason for crying as we're reading this story. It feels so crazy. He's obeying against all common sense. And the reality is that we, as Abraham's heirs, are called to follow in his footsteps in this radical obedience. Because God speaks to us. He tells us to do things that are radical and that go against all common sense. The, the world tells us to be loyal to our tribe, but God tells us to care for the outsider. The world tells us to keep score, take names. God tells us to forgive. The world tells us to hate our enemies, but God tells us to love our enemies. The world tells us, eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. God tells us, lay down your life for an eternal reward. God speaks to us through his word, just like he spoke to Abraham. And so often we don't get the full story on what he's calling us to here, and yet we are called to obey, even when we can't see exactly how it works. Abraham's obedience here is just Stunning. Look at verse 6 with me. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, the wood that's meant in front of his son, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And then we see Isaac and Abraham marching up the mountain, Isaac carrying the wood intended for his own sacrifice, all according to the obedience of Abraham. As painful, as harrowing as it had to be, Abraham is obeying here. So the vision of faith at first obeys, even when we can't see. But it doesn't simply stop with blind obedience. The vision of faith actually trusts the one who can see. So let's look at these two brief conversations that Abraham has here with the people who are traveling with him to the mountain. 
Look first at verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Do you feel the tension in what he's saying here? Abraham fully intends to go and kill his son and burn him off the mountain. And yet he's saying, right here, the boy and I are going to come back. Abraham is sitting in the contradiction. He's trusting God's promises, even right here. And Abraham is doing this by trusting God's bigger vision. Look at verses 7 and 8. This so tender moment in this story. Out of this tender love that Isaac has for his father, he asks the obvious question, doesn't he? Daddy, you've got the fire. I've got the wood. Daddy, where's the lamb? Maybe I can't imagine what Abraham was experiencing that moment. Maybe you can too. But what he says here to his son says, says so much. Look at what he says. Abraham says, God will provide for himself. Even while I'm just lost, 
trying to figure out this process. I knew one who did see it, and I trusted him. My teacher saw it. My teacher saw how it worked. And I trusted his vision that he could see and that he was teaching it correctly. And be entrusting his vision allowed me to keep pressing on and trying to learn. Trusting his bigger vision gave me the confidence and the ability to sit there at that whiteboard with him and try to figure out what in the world is going on. And I think something similar here is actually happening with Abraham. Abraham can't see, but he knows that God can. And so he's trusting this larger vision of God. He trusts that God will provide the lamb, just as he provided Isaac in the first place. And Abraham here is a fantastic example for us. When we're overwhelmed and confused, when we're crying out this for God, what are you doing? We should trust that God sees. Even when we can't. This is the cry of the vision of faith. I may not see, but I am trusting you because you do see. This sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? How do we do this? Let's keep looking at the story. So, the story so far shows us that the vision of faith obeys even when it cannot see, and it trusts God's bigger vision, even while it's yearning to expand to that vision. But this story actually tells us what we can see as well. And what we must look at in the hardest and most harrowing circumstances. We must expand our vision to look at God's global plan of redemption. In verses 9 and 10, the story slows to an absolute creep, doesn't it? Abraham and Isaac, they come to the appointed place. Abraham builds an altar. He lays the wood in order. He binds his son. He puts him on top of his altar. He reaches out his hand, and he grabs the knife. Even hand motion are captured here in this story. Do you feel just how deliberate Abraham is being? He's obeying fully. And as he reaches the moment of decision, having done everything that God has asked him to do, except the very thing, he reaches that point with the knife hovering over his side. An angel reaches out and stays his hand. Abraham has passed the test. He's shown that he fears God above everything else. But then look at what happens in verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he, Ra'ah, he saw. He saw. He saw a ram provided for the sacrifice in place of his son. Here in the land of vision, where Abraham is trusting God's greater vision. Here in this land of vision, Abraham finally sees. He finally sees. He sees God indeed providing the lamb. 
But this vision that Abraham has here isn't simply the vision of Abraham alone. Here, Abraham's vision and God's vision are actually merging together. Look at verse 14 with me. Abraham here names this place. And he could have named the place, I see now, or I see, something like that. But look at what he names it. He names it, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. But again, the word for provide here is actually the word for to see. It's the word Baha. The Lord will see. Here on the mountain where God stays out Abraham calls the mountain. The Lord will see. Abraham sees, but he sees because God first sees. Abraham is only able to see because God first sees. Because the Lord sees, we can see. Our visions are merging. But what exactly is Abraham seeing here? If we think that he's only seeing God providing for this one need, providing, giving him back his son, if you will, I think we're missing the point. I think we're missing the point. If God's only giving back Isaac to Abraham, God is essentially just solving a riddle that God himself created. No, I think Abraham here is actually getting a glimpse into the cosmic plan of redemption that God is working through Abraham. And we actually see this cosmic plan in verses 15 through 18. Right after Abraham declares the mountain, the Lord will ra'ah, the Lord will see on this mountain where Abraham sees. God calls to Abraham and gives him a vision of the future. Now, he's going through various promises here. And in some ways, he's actually just telling Abraham the same thing that he's told him for the last 25, 30 years. Remember, at the very beginning of the story with Abraham, God starts out by promising Abraham to bless him and to bless the world through him. He's already told Abraham that his children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But here, God is giving Abraham these promises with more specificity and with more certainty. Look at verse 17. God tells Abraham that he will surely bless him, that he will surely multiply his offspring. His offspring won't just be as innumerable as the stars. It'll be as uncountable as the grains of sand. Abraham won't just have offspring, but though his offspring will actually conquer his enemies and possess their gates. And through Abraham's offspring, all nations in the world will be blessed. <clears throat> God here is giving Abraham a glimpse of the salvation plan that God is carrying out. Abraham probably doesn't quite realize it, but this whole text, this entire trial, has been a glimpse of the salvation story that God then tells them about in these verses at the end. There's this little verse, little detail in verse 17, right there. 
He says, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Pretty obvious if you look at the Hebrew that this is a singular pronoun. God is talking about one heir, one descendant of Abraham. And in this one offspring, we can actually start to make sense of the seeming absurdity of God's command to Abraham right at the beginning of this story. Because by giving Abraham this terrible, terrible test, God is asking Abraham to do exactly the same thing that God himself will do two millennia later. Just like Abraham, another descendant, just like Isaac, rather, another descendant of Abraham will walk up this same mountain carrying the very wood that is intended for his own execution. But on that later day, on top of this mountain, when the knife rises to kill the precious, promised, beloved, only son, no angel will come. There won't be a room. The knife will fall. The sun will die. And on that day, the beloved son and the substitutionary ram actually become one and the same. This is how the world will be blessed. Through this one future son of Abraham dying on top of Mount Moriah. This story of Isaac is actually foreshadowing how God will bless the world. Now, did Abraham get all that? Did he see all of these details? Did he put all of that together? Probably not, realistically. <laughs> At least to every detail. But my friends, we do. We see. We see what God will do. And just as God here is inviting Abraham to expand his vision to see how God will surely bless the whole world through his future son, God is inviting us to expand our vision as well. He wants us to see what God is doing in the world. He is calling us to go up with Abraham to the top of the mountain of the Lord. And at the top of that mountain, we see Jesus Christ. We see the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, crucified. And it's there at the top of the mountain, looking at this crucified Son, that the painful absurdities and realities of our life can even start to make sense. Only here, gazing on the beloved Son, crucified dead. Can we see that God takes the seemingly absurd, the seemingly impossible, and he turns it for good and for blessing? This is the bigger vision of God that he's showing Abraham, that he's showing us. This is the vision, the bigger vision that we can see from the top of the mountain of the Lord. And with this bigger vision, we can then return to the valleys of our lives and there we can 
start to try to make sense of the trials and the tests that we face. We may not understand what God is doing. We may never understand in this life what God is doing. But in Christ, we see God's love. We see his biggest plan for us. And that bigger vision gives us the faith to follow him in obedience, even when we cannot see on our own. Did you hear that line in the, in the Romans reading? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? My friends, the story of Abraham and Isaac is inviting us into this bigger vision, this bigger vision of faith where we can see God's work. And it's challenging us to take this bigger vision and to carry it into all of our lives. This bigger vision may not give us the answers that we desperately want right now. But we do see God's love for us in it. And in this bigger vision, we can find the strength to walk with obedient faith, trusting the one who does see you, even when we can't. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.